This is episode 7, and we are diving into chapter 13 and 14. And so, uh, the normal crowd's here, Amanda, Katie, Hunter, Steve, and myself. So, Hunter, we're talking about, we're opening up with justice, and then we're moving into women in ministry. So, let's start with justice. That's chapter 13. Bob. Yeah, so this was uh, chapter 13 on justice and the king and his kingdom redemption story. It was a continuation of the last part that we talked about last week. Um, we were talking about a little bit, there's some good stuff in chapter 13, it was a little bit of a slog, um, but what did you guys have? I had a couple things underlined, but y'all, y'all go ahead. <laughs> Alright, cool. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What I underlined, I was just underlining, just to have yeah. something. So he... He talked. Uh, he talked about. Uh, he talked a lot about defining what justice is. Um, well, because that that um, probably started becoming one of the buzzwords, especially of younger generation Christians. I would say probably millennial. Um, well, he kind of gets into that too. Yeah, but I, I remember. You, you know, I've been on the board for a lot of years of. Um, our board of ministry for the denomination and we're the ones that uh, interview and and people who are pursuing to get a, a minister's license and and or ordination and this was something I saw come up probably about I don't know seven eight years ago maybe even ten years ago uh, these young ministers started coming in talking about social justice and I really had to dig into that a little bit because I didn't even know what they were talking about but that's when I began to see this trend toward you know the Bible calls us to social justice and I really had to understand what that was well that would make sense he uh he wrote this book. The first edition came out in 2008, and the second edition came out in 2016. So he was probably writing it right when the, 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 that, that was come, becoming a topic of conversation. There was a couple things that he would say. Like, he finally got around to a place where I, I felt like I could land on him with, but it took him a while to, like, really get there. And he and, and then, like... Um, on that journey through this chapter, he he would say some things sometimes. That I was like, "What are you? What do you mean? Like, what are you? What what point are you trying to get at?" Like, uh, I would totally agree that God is the one that defines justice, but he never got around to how Christians act justly in the world until like the last two pages. And I was like, "We've wasted this entire chapter um, before we actually got to the point of it." But well, do you think he was trying to explain it to maybe people like me that didn't really understand it and know what it was? Yeah, maybe. And especially maybe heard that terminology. I yeah. kind of felt like that's what he was doing because that was a point that I was at. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Where, where's this social justice thing coming from and what do y'all mean by that? Mm-hmm. So, I, did, I did underline um, justice is love, but justice is also peace and reconciliation and wisdom. Mm. And I thought that was good. And then that justice is a way of life. Yeah. What'd you have, Dan? Uh, well, I'm kind of like Steve. I think justice was kind of a big moment as I was um, 
kind of like in the heart, like the middle of time when I was in college, like you say, like that 2008, 2009 deal. And would it, like this all reminds me of, um, I had an opportunity to go to the Passion Conference and their their big push was, you know, modern day slavery and, you know, several, you know, um, human trafficking. And it was things that, you know, being from a small town, like I'd never even heard or even really thought thought about these things, um, but they really used their platform to, to really shine a light on a lot of these things, and that was kind of their big push was to shine a light on slavery um, and bring about so, social justice. And so now it's just kind of a, where it's kind of a buzzword, you know, 10, 15 years ago, now it's, you know, that's just part of, I guess, your your values, your your mission is, you know, to, to have social justice, I guess. I yeah. don't really know. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I think he does a he does a good job in the last couple of pages of really defining... No, I totally... I totally you, were on, you were on the right track, Dan. Um, because when you were looking at passion, one of their big things, like you said, was the... Uh, what was the... You, you said it. The X's? Oh, what was that movement? Uh, um, Gen X? No. No, just the shine a light on slavery. Um, it was called so end it movement. End it movement. The end yeah, it movement. Yeah, and that was their and that was their big push, like towards the end it movement. And that was probably my first, um, my first. I don't know what to call it. Awareness of it as well. Yeah, as that's like a good these, way because I mean I knew like there was things around the world like you know, for lack of better like China makes everything, and you've always heard like. And, and I'm not make, making a joke here, but you hear about, you know, these sweatshops where things are made. Right. But what passion did was to like, hey, that's not right. Like right. the the God we serve, you know, this this shouldn't be a thing that's happening. And uh, they even had, there, there was an app at the time that you could take a price tag and scan the barcode and it would tell you how many slaves yep. it took to make that product. <clears throat> yep. Oh you know, goodness. and I was like, oh my goodness. Like that's great. And it was just one of those things yep. like you just... It's kind of out of sight, out of mind, but that that doesn't make it right, you know. So, so basically, so it says here, for Israel, justice was no abstract concept or philosophical definition. It just was what they were. It was part of God's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And so basically, instead of it being a buzzword, like you said, they're Mm -hmm. trying to push back into, it's just who we are, part of us. That's great, Katie. And, and exactly what he, he said on page 192, really the first time that I saw him really define what it actually meant. He said, thus, which, well, thus we, it's right at the end of the next to last paragraph. Oh, oh nice job. He said, thus we de-establish racism, classism, and sexism, and we establish love, peace, reconciliation, and wisdom as the way we live as a fellowship and community of Christ. And he goes into later on the next page that we are formed into agents of justice who are then to enter the public sector. So it's not just that we live this out in our community of believers, but we take that into everywhere we go. And that's really, that was when I was like, okay, finally, we have a one sentence definition of what justice is. Um, and that's a, but then, then, then that's the end of movement and passion was a perfect way. And I've got a, a brother-in-law, Preston, who now works for Exodus Road. Um, who is kind of working towards the same end um, at, at childhood's enslavement and things like that. But, yeah. and, and he makes it, takes it to a practical level there at the bottom of 193. I mean, he says, we are to be people noticeable for doing good, mm-hmm. you know. 
And sometimes I, I think the church has lost that focus yeah. that it's it becomes internal uh, so uh, you know what am I trying to say internal focused instead of external focused um, and then he goes on to say you know in context these terms refer to public acts of benevolence caring for the poor compassion following disasters forming public policy for the common good, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And that's, you know, that's, that's practical things that the church should be leading the way on. Yeah, well, and to Daniel's point earlier, not only, like when he was saying, you know, we don't even know when we're buying objects, like what went into that, like how many, how many slaves were used to build that product. Like not only have we been not aware of what we've been a, a part of, but at some times in our history, and even I think recent history, We've been a part of like. We've been a we we've been a driving force. Like you think about consumerism or things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you think about uh, how slavery, even in America, was justified using the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and all the different ways the church has, at different times in its history, worked against justice. It's. Mm-hmm. But, anybody else? Yeah, I, I can. Can I tell this story? If I can't tell the story, edit it out. Okay. But the, I, I'm sure where I got pushed back from, those people are not listening to a podcast. Um, do y'all remember the hornet's nest that I stirred up when I announced from the pulpit one oh, yes. day that we were, we were buying a bunch of shoes for yes. kids yes. at school to start back? Um, school with and I said we're buying every kid that wait wait before you say that like in context like this is for a group of students at our local school that they're they've been identified as being like under what uh, like they're in like severe poverty like they're struggling because of a family situation some of them are homeless I mean they're they've got their back against the wall and they've got an uphill battle and so yeah. that's where the we kind of had an opportunity to step in and meet some of their needs, which was yeah, and we've done and we've done it for several years. Yeah. And had I even done it prior to this. Oh, like for five we, or six yeah, years we, before. We, yeah, we got that list of students, mm-hmm. and we bought every one of them a brand new pair of Nike tennis shoes to wear to school. Well, this particular year, it's twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. It was quite <laughs> controversial. Uh, and I guess it all stemmed from uh, Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, whatever his name was. Big hair guy. Um, but anyway, I announced from the platform we were buying every one of these students a pair of brand new Nike tennis shoes. And uh, I almost got fired over that. Uh, people. You did not almost get fired. There was a few that revolted. Uh, and because said they of, would not give us yeah. a penny toward buying shoes that. But were it not. wasn't so much that it, they were Nike and that, you know, of how Nikes were produced. It was because Nike supported this uh, Colin Kaepernick and his stance to, during the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm on to kneel instead of stand. Like mm. it was. Like it was like it's okay to get riled up about something, but then, but, it, but it was. Do you remember? Of, I kind of had to confront one of them, and and uh, but he, uh, this person said that you know if we would buy another brand of tennis shoes, they would help us support it, 
And we were laughing about, because what was it, Adidas and all the others were made in these other countries using, you know, child slavery to make them and all this. And they have no clue about stuff like that. Right, yeah. Well, I I think of another story, too. Um, Yeah, yeah. I think of another one when you told, you talked about, it was around the same time, you talked about the pulpit. We had a pastor in Bentonville who uh, was almost deported. And, yes, yes. and she, she was, I think she's from Guatemala, and she's been on the journey for a very, very long time to try to, to immigrate right, you know, however mm-hmm. we want to call it. Um, and uh, so we were, she just kind of ended up, long story short, she was about to be deported, and you talked about it, we prayed for her one Sunday. And I remember the hot water that we got in. Well, I made, a com- I made a yeah. comment that I probably shouldn't have made. I mean, at, yeah. at the time, it was you know we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna deport all the murderers, rapists, and thug, you know, all yeah. this, and and I, you know, in front of the, while we're praying for this precious lady that's a pastor, you know, I said, you know, and and here I was thinking because I had been told we were gonna deport you know, murderers, rapists, and thugs, and here we got a pastor that's, right. you know, her whole family is terrified they're about to get deported, and they've been trying to go through the process. Literally had people get up and walk out and yeah. leave the church. Well, and, and just to think, like, that that the way that the church interacts with justice in, in, that, in that aspect, like, we've not always been on the on the right side of it, I would say. Yeah, I know, and I, I don't want to, I kind of want to, I'm not going to this up, but I kind of want to talk about Maria, too. Yeah. Like, because she's immigrated the right way. Well, it's taken her eight years and thousands and thousands of dollars to do it. It's right. really tough to do. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy, and, and we just think, oh, they need to go, you know, wherever they need to go and sign up and do it right, and we've made it so hard that they can't do it right. right. And so how, what does the church do with that? Do, yeah. do we welcome foreigners or do, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Boy, it's... it's uh, yeah, and so you think about justice. Like, where is the church? Like, okay, we learn how to act justly within the church. We learn how to, to take a stance against racism, take a stance against sexism in the church. Well, then our, our next step is because, and I, I didn't really get what he was talking about with evangelism in this until he finally, yeah, until he finally like put it together in the last page. So I was like, what does evangelism have, have to do with it? But he's talking about taking that, being agents of justice into the public sector, evangelizing these, these stances against racism, sexism, classism, and saying, hey, we learn how to, we learn how to stand against these things in the church, and then we take that into the world around us. And he ties it in with, because that's part of what the kingdom of God is. Uh, the new heaven and new earth is justice overflowing. Mm. But, yeah. Well, for a chapter that we didn't really get a lot out of, we got a lot out of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just one of those things like like what Passion did for, for you and I, Hunter, just to kind of, in using their language, shine a light on slavery. It's just yeah. like, whoa, like I, I, I never even had thought of that. Whereas there's a lot of, um, I would say, people even older than, than us, you know, in their early 30s that unless they're actively, like, conscious and and pursuing, like, hey, what are some justice topics? Like, they're just not going to know. And that's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things, like, in especially in church, and I get frustrated about this more often than I probably should, but I get irritated when 
people don't know what they should know. Yes. But then I have to backpedal and go, how in the world would they know that unless I told I know exactly them? what you're saying. You know, and you want to get upset. Like, well, I know hey, when y'all came back talking about these places, these sweatshops that were using, you know, child labor to do, I had no idea. I never yeah. did not, never hit in my radar mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. But it's, and it's, like I said, there's, there's, I think that's one of our jobs. And like he's saying here, like to evangelize, like, yes, we need to take what, you know, God is about and his story. And part of that is to make light of injustices in the world. And that's, I mean, that's one of them. Well, and here's some, and and we're all, you know, we're guilty of this. I try to bring it up every once in a while, but we have so Americanized Christianity that it's, it's hindered the the church. And, um, you know, we just view it from a United States of America standpoint. Mm -hmm. And the Bible wasn't wasn't written Mm -hmm. just to us. You know, that is one of the things I love when we do get the opportunity, like at district assembly or at times where you get to hear about the church around the world. And just like the hurdles and struggles that some, you know, some countries, some places have to go through just to come together as the body to fellowship. You know, that's insane. Whereas we can drive up in our cars and work like this. We're complaining as we come in here to talk, like, it's too hot, it's too cold. And it's like, well, there's some people that are literally going under the cover of darkness <laughs> to study God's Word. So, yeah. like you say, we've definitely Americanized it. Yeah, we can almost predict the attendance by what the weather is like. And yes. That's right. pretty sad. Yeah. We yes. did. It was raining Sunday, and so mm-hmm. we're placing bets. And, no, we were not placing bets. <laughs> we were just casually talking, well, what's the number going to be today? It's raining. You know. So. <laughs> Sure hope it's not raining when the Lord comes back because a lot of folks in the church ain't going to want to go. <laughs> well, let's, yeah. well, let's move on to the next section that moves into part five. It's kind of a change of topic um, because he, was, he spent some time establishing how you read the Bible with this king, kingdom story. And part five is he's taking that and using an example um, of women in church ministries today. And part of us, a couple of us actually went through chapter 14, so we're going to let them take the lead on that. Uh, three of us um, only only made it through the introduction because we all just stopped. We thought that was a whole chapter. But uh, let's try to cover this um, just, just really quickly so we all are on the same page. Um, the Church of the Nazarene, from its very beginning in 1908, has always allowed, has always recognized the equality of calling is what, is what we call it. To where men and women are called to be pastors and to minister in the church. And so it was interesting to read like the introduction, which is all I made it through, um, <laughs> in that light. Because you saw a journey for him that I myself never had to go through. Because I was just so open to it. But we have a lot of people in our church who come from a different background than we all do, and um, that that may be something that we have that they have to adjust to. That they've been they they are have been on or are going on the same journey. So, what stood out to y'all? Well, I'm trying to figure out. It obviously spoke to Steve. He just got <laughs> up and left. Yep. I did. Um, I think it was in chapter 14. I underlined, um, it says, I will argue that we should let the blue parakeet sing and fly, that in reading the Bible with tradition instead of through through tradition, we are set free to respect and challenge that tradition. Mm. And I thought that was good because it also talks about how the Bible um, tells stories from the angle of men. And so I just thought the two went hand in hand. Um, 
Man, that's that's a good point, and mm-hmm. and something he he hints on a, a little bit throughout that the Bible was, and I, you said this before we started recording, Amanda. The Bible was written by men from the perspective of men. Um, he even hits on he hits on that earlier in the when he's talking about premarital sex earlier in the book, and he said, well, the part in Exodus or wherever, wherever it was written was written from the perspective of the father of mm-hmm. the woman, not from the actual yeah. yeah. But um, it's all about who the Bible was written by. And Hayden says this all the time, and I really like it. Um, Your brother? I know. You like something he says? I know. I've never known. I know. But I, I don't remember where he said it last when I heard him say it, but he said, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Mm-hmm. And I, like, it was, like, especially when we're talking about Paul, and I'll, I'll stop talking in a second, let y'all take it. But, like, you look at First Timothy where he says women should be silent in church. And you have to realize that he's writing to a specific church, a specific cultural moment. I mean, on 201. And um, a specific situation. Yeah. I mean, there was a problem in that church. And yeah. it's not, you know, it's not noted. It, and it, there's other places besides First Timothy where you right. can find this. There were some women in the church that was causing a lot of trouble. Well, and to look at that time, I was talking to somebody. Oh, we were talking about this in my class um, last week. The... The women of that time did not have access to the education that men had. And so really, when you look at it, he was taking more of a stance on edu- like on um, basically making sure the most educated people were who were talking about, like the people who knew what they were talking about were who was talking about God. Well, women didn't have access to education at all at that time. And it was to no fault of their own. It was because of the culture that they lived in. Well, and um, like another step there, like you think about like, what they knew and understood about God's word was from what a man had told them, like mm-hmm. you're saying. Well, if you go back to the beginning, well, the fall of man to their understanding was all Eve's fault. And right. it's like, well, that's mm-hmm. not entirely true. Yeah. You know, and so here you've got thousands of years of this teaching and this mindset that, hey, we're in this situation because of what Eve did. And it's yeah. like, no, that's, that's, that's not accurate. But again, how would they know? That's all they knew, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah. one, they didn't know. Two, they didn't have access to the to the resources to learn and have a different mindset. So everyone, and if you think about it from their mindset, like the Pharisees, is they controlled the narrative, yep. which meant they had the control. That's and good that's point. What that, that's yeah. what they were, you know. Well, and that yeah. goes back to that line: "He who writes the story controls yes. the glory." Mm-hmm. And it goes. I with, gave him that line. with blame <laughs> as well. I mean, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point too. Yeah. <laughs> what is well? Blame. Blame. Yeah. So uh, like, with yeah. everything being Eve's fault. Yeah. So I'm reading another book right now about women in biblical history, and I have. What's it called? This, similar to what I just said. What is it called? I think it's Making Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So just this is just a personal note. I grew up in the Methodist church and then this church. So like you, Hunter, I've always seen women welcome in ministry. But reading this book has been surprisingly emotional for me. And I was telling Brandon the other day, it's it's really impressed upon me how um, repressed women have been in ministry. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. so sad and shocking. And But just the spin on it, it's, it's just beautiful to hear just... You know how we've taken it and adjusted what 
what we perceive the Bible to say. Yeah. And that's how we've lived it out when that's really probably not at all how it was meant. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. Um, I, you know, I was raised in a denomination that women did not, you know, shouldn't be in ministry roles, but yet every Sunday school class in our church was taught by a woman, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting. But that, I forgot what I was going to say. That's kind of like when he talks at the beginning of chapter 14 about one of his students and that basically she graduated with her Master's of Art in Religion mm-hmm. and that she had a call to preach and she was very gifted but she got lots of offers to be a youth pastor or children's pastor mm-hmm. or you know anything but the head pastor and that she basically ended up um, not ever working as a as a lead pastor. Well, yeah. look at look at the and you know a denomination that I once was a part of. One of the best Bible teachers that I have read and listened to is Beth Moore. Mm-hmm. Her denomination ran her out of the denomination because she spoke at a church on a Sunday morning during the service, and she had tweeted on social media that it was an honor to get to preach at the church that morning. They ran her out of Southern Baptist Church. And I'm like... Nope, you said the name. You're trying not to, but you just did. <laughs> well, I mean, how ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get that, that they're standing on this, you know, verse where Timothy says this. Well, Paul, Paul to Timothy. That's, that's what I mean. I know what I mean. <laughs> But here's the deal. It's where we pick and choose these verses, yeah. and I'm going to take a stand on this one. Oh, but I'm not this one. You yeah. know. Well, he even says that he's having the conversation with uh, one of his uh, professor uh, colleagues, and she's kind of prying him, and he's like, dude, I'm all for women in ministry. And she goes, yeah, but what about Paul? Yeah. And I even underline, oh, i got to find it now. But she goes, what about what about Paul? And he says... Yeah, I, had that, I had that underlined too, Dane. Paul's directions to his churches were culturally shaped. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, that's good. So has anybody... Oh, wait, back to Beth Moore. I'm especially close to Beth Moore. Because oh, her, my. Oh, her gosh. Here we go. Here we go. I have tweeted back and forth numerous times. <laughs> So I thought it was just once. Numerous times. There were two tweets. Uh, because I reached out to her over a staff argument, and she clarified it for me. And what was the staff there. argument that we were having? I thought she was extremely tall, because every time I had seen her speak at Passion and other events, I was like, my goodness, that lady's a tall. And um, one of our staff at the time, uh, Shelly, said, she's as tall as I am. And I was like, there's no way. And... Shelly might be an inch taller than Beth Moore. So, I love our follower on uh, social media. Yeah, we're big buds. You know, Christmas cards, you know, the whole, the whole thing. It's great. But, you know, the, the, in certain areas, we won't allow things to change with the culture, but then we change with the culture. Right. You know, mm-hmm. We talked about it earlier. We... Um, you know, the church has changed based on culture. Even some of your more traditional churches 
heaven forbid, are not singing songs that were written in the 1800s anymore. You well, know? even then, I mean, those songs were written in the 1800s, right. 1800 years after they're like the early church. Right. Like, and yeah. so, yes, the you know, we are constantly changing based on our culture. Another thing that, that we've talked about before is, you know, Sunday night services. Uh, I, I will never, ever forget when we decided to have, you know, a, a Bible study or small groups instead of Sunday night services. And some people just lost their minds over that. And, you know, we're sitting here going, but here's the deal, and it's on us because, like you said, we assume everybody knows, but not everybody knows what Sunday services, how that even came about. That was a cultural thing, you know, for people who farmed, and they could not, they, they would have a service on Sunday night so the farmers could get all their work done on Sunday morning and then go to church on Sunday night. That's Which, the by the way, was not following the Sabbath. Right. We're, and we're sun- picking and choosing, you know. Sunday night services <clears throat> were, you know, to accommodate a certain group of people. And the majority of people back in that time were farmers. Yeah. And it just carried on. And then it was like, oh, you've got to, you know, you got to go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And it just became this deal. It grew into something that it was never intended to be. An idol. To begin with. It grew into an idol. Mm-hmm. Well, and we even had some, like I think of Pat Iberg, she was one that she was just dead set, we've got this building, we should be filling it every time we can, and uh, she got so mad that she finally just went to one of those small groups, mm. and she said, why didn't we start doing this years ago, this is way more fun to sit around, you know, yeah. people's coffee table and yeah. dive into God's Word. And she loved it. You know, she, yeah, she was a, a big advocate for us. You but, know. but Brother Sanders would say too, you know, we would so fill up our Sunday, we would have... You know, you'd have Sunday school, and then you'd have um, church, and then you would come back Sunday afternoon and have choir practice, and then drama you, practice. Yeah, yeah. and all, you know yeah. all these things drama all practice. day long on Sunday, and it was exhausting. And and Brother Sanders would say, "What is the point of a day of worship? You know, of a day of Sabbath? It's a day of rest." And we're wearing people smooth out yeah. on our Sabbath. Yeah, and I mean it just goes back to that he he's saying God moves in our uh, God moves in our days and our ways, and we which means we have to look at the culture. Um, and exactly what Daniel said that's it's a perfect it's a um, it's a perfect example that Paul's directions to his churches were shaped on the culture, and so we do the same. And, like, if we say we aren't changing to the culture, like you were saying, Dad, we're lying to ourselves. Right. Because even if we aren't changing to our culture now, at some point in the 1800s, those hymns were written to, by the way, the tune of bar tavern songs. Yeah. Like tavern tavern music. So, yeah, because and, and they were popular kind of music. Right, and people time. knew those, those tunes. tunes, right. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to go back to what Katie was saying, because um, I thought that was, that was really good. Um, when we say now that somebody is not allowed to preach or to teach, what we we have to recognize now that what we're doing is we're cutting off. Let's say like with women, if we say no woman is allowed to preach or teach, we're cutting off the way God is moving through half the population of the world, mm-hmm. and we're saying God cannot move in women the way that the same way that God moves through men. And uh, he talks about this a little bit at the end of the section that I read, but I'm sure it goes on into chapter 14. But I, 
just think about how many women have grown up in these churches and have said, man, I'm feeling God is really calling me to something. Well, we've got a lady in our church right now. I know exactly. Yep. That, that me is too. probably listening yep. to this. And, and I, was, I was thinking of that, that too. Like, but, but somebody said to them, God is, gonna, God is calling you to something, but it's not ministry. Right. And like how detrimental that has been to the church. I mean, think about the, the, the even in our own history, like Church of the Nazarene. Like, yeah, okay, we've been ordaining women since 1908, but really from the 70s to the 90s, there was a de-emphasis. Like they, we almost quit ordaining women in that time, not theologically, but practically. We ordained like no women, especially in USA Canada from like 70 to 90. Some people would argue that point, but especially here in the South. And think about how many women were grew up in that time and were called to ministry, and then someone told them, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think of big names, like even in our movement, like um, Phoebe Palmer from the Holiness Movement was a huge, was a huge emphasis on sanctific- the sanctification theology. But someone even in our own church, Agnes Diffie, she was one of our charter members. She went on to pastor the, like one of the biggest churches in Little Rock, one of the biggest Nazarene churches in North America mm-hmm. and had a huge impact on everything. And we even have, have had women pastors in our own church and to think, man, where would we be if we said, no, God's not calling you? Right. I mean, we'd be, we'd be in a totally different spot. Than well, we this church today. probably wouldn't even be here because, mm-hmm. yep. you know, this church went through a phase to where it was basically women yep. keep mm-hmm. holding this thing together. Yep. And they began to pray and have a burden for men and their husbands. And, you know, I believe with all my heart that's what turned this church into what it became. Mm-hmm. Well, and just a little nugget, too, that, you know, when just like the, you know, Scott, he's having this conversation with his colleague and she throws out, well, what about what Paul said? Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of those deals, if, if that was such a big emphasis for Paul, why didn't he start out everyone? And this is just a personal deal, like. Why didn't he tell every church he wrote a letter to? Hey, by the way, tell your gals they got they got to pipe down. Right. Well, and so I thought too, it's it's our responsibility to go back and try to figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. look at the social culture again, and mm-hmm. you know, figure out what he was talking about. And then, you know, if we can't do it ourselves, there's other theologians who have and mm-hmm. study that and mm-hmm. bring it to light. Tell people. Yeah. You know? Well, well, like exactly like what Hayden was said. Who was he? Okay, if he's not writing to us, who who is he writing, is he writing to? to yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's. I love that because it's just the conversations I've had, and it's like, you know, some people just they really want to get defensive about it, and I'm like, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm not trying to uproot your theology. I just have you looked at it like this. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I've been really, and we've got to stop because we're going, we, we've been going way too long. But, but I, I don't, I don't want to stop because yeah. I, I want to say to people like that, I'm going to defend this till the bitter end. I want to say, are you feeding the hungry? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, are you, are you helping the prisoners? Mm-hmm. Are you, you know, yep. what are you, what are you doing for orphans? Yeah. Well, and and what I was going to say, like like what what I found is when I talk to somebody. And I've found this several times even in our church with people from that coming from different backgrounds. When we talk about women in ministry, the what they what they say when you actually explain it, when you say Paul's writing to this culture, this is why we take this passage of scripture this way, this is why we do what we do, they say, I've never thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. It's like he says, the Bible said it and that settles yep. it. Yeah. And and they and and they'll say, I just have always grown up and heard women mm-hmm. aren't allowed in ministry, and that's all I've ever known. 
And I've just never thought about it like Paul may not be writing this to me. And it's so crazy because whenever I'm reading this book that I'm reading, that is not at all how they took it when it was actually written. He was revolutionary in saying the complete opposite. That listen, this woman and man are equal. Mm. Just because Mm -hmm. she... Yeah, I'm suggesting that she not preach in this church or however it played out. Yeah, I mean Galatians. He was radical in mm. what he was saying. People were were looking at what he was saying like, "Wow, he's mm. you know he's heretical." Yeah, know? well, I mean, we do not give credence. We do not give enough. Uh, the when he wrote in Galatians, I think it's three twenty three. Um, I could be wrong on that, but neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor That's, slave, nor yes. free. He, yeah, nor male, nor male, nor, nor female. That mm-hmm. was like this insane thing to say. Yes. Like it was like, and, and that is really one of the, one of the, if, if you were to, are to pick a verse out of everything that Paul wrote, if you're going to go into that, that verse in Galatians, like that is the biggest verse that he wrote. Like that's the most important thing that you could ever get out of Paul's theology. He, yeah, and he says all will be equal yet radically unique. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was neat. Yeah. Well, one thing I like too, you know, when it comes to like, there's always this, um, maybe the, I don't want to say like a simple theology, and I don't want to say uneducated theology, but for like surface level theology, let's mm-hmm. say that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. There's always a hierarchy of sin. There's a hierarchy to everything. And that verse from Galatians, and as you dive into more of what Jesus is trying to do, there is zero hierarchy. Mm-hmm. We're all on the same yep. playing field. Sin is sin, whether you're a glutton or a murderer. Yeah, right. This is, you know, and we've we've put this hierarchy to things, and uh, it's just it's it's crazy when you think about like you're saying, Katie, like with Paul, it's like no, 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 that's. <laughs> That is very incorrect. You know? Yeah. Like everyone. Well, it's it, the context. We go back to yeah, what we've talked about all along mm-hmm. is the context in which it was written. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be a continuing conversation. Um, and as you can probably tell if you're listening, this is something that excites a lot of us around the table. So these podcasts are probably going to get, be getting longer and longer <laughs> as we start diving into it. <laughs> But because um, we're, well, we're pretty, we're pretty passionate sad, about this. What's sad is we're having this conversation. You know, it's, it's like somebody used to say, "We're we're preaching to the choir." You know, mm-hmm. the majority right. of the people that are even listening to a podcast have already opened their minds to learning. Yeah. You know, and the 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 people that probably really need to hear this are not here. Yeah. Are not listening. <laughs> But that's not gonna stop us. That's well, not gonna stop me from getting mad. I can, I can. <laughs> don't get mad. Get passionate. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a difference yeah. between passion and being mad. Yeah, totally well, and there's nothing wrong with having the because if we're having the conversation and someone listening could go yeah. and have a conversation and yeah. someone could overhear that conversation. Did you hear what they said? <laughs> no. But so next week we're gonna continue this conversation and we're gonna look at chapters 15 and 16 and it's looking at. What did women do in the Old Testament and New Testament? So it's really kind of reformulating. Um, I hope, I I haven't read this part yet. I hope he looks at things like um, important women in ministry in the Old Testament and New Testament, but we'll we'll see. Um, So that's what we'll be doing next week. So catch us uh, probably next Tuesday through Thursday, somewhere in that time period on episode 8 of Staff Chat. See y'all guys later.